Reading, short and deep. Hi, this is Jesse. And I'm Eric. And today we're reading short and deep. The Mirrors of Tuzun Thun by Robert E. Howard, which is a story from September 1929 uh, magazine, Weird Tales. And you said you hadn't read this in half a century. Is is that possible? Did you read it when it came out? No, that's a little too long ago. <laughs> no, but uh, I read it when I was a teenager and, uh, I, and mistakenly filed it away with... Uh, a sense that Robert E. Howard was full of swashbuckling and and adolescent power fantasies, and um, and then I really just didn't bother to return to the creator of Conan the Barbarian and King Cull um, at all. Did other things, and now here I am, um, half a century later, and you suggested this to me on taking your recommendations seriously as i always do jesse i read it with care and from the beginning i was astonished to find that this wasn't just an adolescent power fantasy at all it's Mm. a rich rich story um but you know that's the older me coming to it and i'm really eager to find out how you thought of it before this current rereading and what made you bring it up to us to read. Um, Mm. This isn't a story. I mean, this is a story that has only one slash, you know, one, one spear, one, one sword cut at all. Mm -hmm. And the, uh, and the main character isn't the guy to do it either. Indeed. Which I think is uh, very interesting. It is unusual for um, Howard in many ways, but I don't think it's unusual in theme exactly. I think it's unusual in that it is, um, the word comes up again and again in the story, it's a meditation on a particular theme, and then uh, and then the sword slash. Right? So it, it, it doesn't have a lack of appeal for kids, but I think it is uh, one of the ones that is more appealing. Uh, as you get older, as you become more wise, hopefully. Uh, but maybe we should outline what little plot there is in this story. Please do. Okay, so uh, this is a story about King Cull, King of Volusia, who's from Atlant- Atlantis. He is melancholic. His friend, um, Brule, the spear slayer, a Pict, comes to him and says, King, we should go out on the ocean. But King Cull rejects this, and instead, a girl comes to him and suggests that King Cull visit Tuzun Thun. He does. Tuzun Thun is a wizard. He visits him at his home on a lake, and inside the home, there are mirrors on the ceiling, on the floor. No, not the floor, just the ceiling and the walls. And King Call becomes in, I don't know, he becomes enthralled by the mirrors. And that's basically the plot until the end. 
How is that? I I I think that's 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 so. Um, it's interesting. Um, you had said that you thought of this as a meditation. So of course, a lot of this plot, which doesn't have a lot of overt action, um, is really just uh, getting an idea of what's going on in Cull's mind as he uh, looks at at the mirror. Um, I noticed that in this short story, um, it's not a very long story, um, three times we have Cull's posture described. And each time he has his chin on his hand. Mm-hmm. Um, so that posture of meditation is built right into the, the visualization that Howard gives us. Um, that's, that's pretty darn clever writing. Um, mm-hmm. I, I would say, by the way, I wouldn't have said melancholic. I would have said that he suffers, cult suffers from ennui. And that's, mm. that's one of the things that, that struck me. Uh, the poem begins, and I know that you like this, and I agree with you, um, with an epigraph from Poe. A wild, weird climb that lieth sublime out of space, out of time. Um, which comes from that poem Dreamland that you and I have discussed before. Mm-hmm. Out of space and out of time is the ontological realm of myth and fairy tale. So right away we know that this is a story in which its real historicity is not the question. The question has got to be its thematic or psychological significance. Uh, And that very first paragraph, um, not the epigraph, there comes a time, there comes even to kings, the time of great weariness, then the gold of the throne is brass, the silk of the palace becomes drab, the gems in the diadem and upon the fingers of the women sparkle drearily like the ice of the white seas. The speech of men is as as the empty rattle of a jester's bell and the feel comes of things unreal. Even the sun is copper in the sky, and the breath of the green ocean is no longer fresh. And I think when when I first read this, I don't mean when I was a teenager, but when I first read this um, presently uh, at this stage of life, I thought, what good writing? I mean, mm-hmm. really, these these similes and metaphors are are so wonderful each one talking about how the surfeit of experience leads things to be pale in one's own eyes it's i wouldn't have called it melancholy so much as i would have called it ennui a kind Mm -hmm. of uh, weighty (coughs) incapacitating boredom but on rereading this entire paragraph is implicitly based on the notion that the things you see in the world around you, even as clear a thing that is external to you as the color of the sun, these things actually are a projection of the viewer, not things unto themselves. And in a sense then, 
the whole problem of losing oneself in a house of parallel mirrors is set up already in this first paragraph. Mm-hmm. Our world is a world of projection. Uh, but then again, where is it? Because there is that one slaying that happens in the story. Are there things beyond that? This, in some sense, is a philosophical tale. It is. It's. It's. I think it's Howard's most philosophical story, uh, at least of all the ones I've read. And he he does touch on it in other stories, but I think this one is is his deepest meditation on what the value of philosophy is. And I I kind of I think he is ambivalent even with that slash at the end, and he he solves that in the in the very last paragraph as well, right? He says, at the end of the story, For there are worlds beyond worlds, as Cole knows, and whether the wizard bewitched him by words or by mesmerisms, vistas did open to the king's gaze beyond the strange door, and Cole is less sure of reality since he gazed into the mirrors of Tuzun Thun. You know, um, that last line, that last paragraph, um, goes in very strange ways for me. What what Cull sees in those mirrors, at first, it's just it's just himself looking back, but then, because Tuzun Thun really is a wizard, the the call that Cull sees in the mirrors seems to be moving in his own right. He's doing things. Cull, in his present, sees this other call. Uh, doing all sorts of stuff, and he's uh, he is amazed by it. A wonderful uh, term that sounds like it's just an attempted antiquated English, but it also is not just a shorthand for amazed, but a reminder that he is being confused by this, and that Tuzun Thun has created a maze to trap Cull, because in fact. Tuzun Thun wants revenge against all of those who have displaced the wizard and the elder race of which he is a member. Um, and they've been supplanted by the new folks, including Cull. Um, now, that that moving guy there, um, that may be projection um, in the times past, which somehow these mirrors give access to. Um, that notion is something that adolescents may have. You know, um, mm-hmm. gosh, am I real or is the guy in the mirror real? But adolescents quickly outgrow that because we can see that our um, will makes the hand of the other fellow move. I know that Nothing makes my hand move until I decide to make it move. And so after a while, you come to think, well, you know, on my side of the mirror is the real me. There is no actual other side to the mirror. Um, In that sense, this story is like through the looking glass. Uh, And Alice doesn't really grow up, although she eventually gets so annoyed that she just sweeps the chess pieces off the the, uh, board and uh, says, you know, I, I don't have to do anything that you want. And she grows and, and wakes up in uh, regular Victorian England. Here, that's not the case. 
In fact, King Cole would continue to look because there is no simple way to approach this question. He can't just raise his hand and see that the, the cull in the mirror raises his hand. It is a separate world of perhaps his own projection. And so I began to think of two things. One, um, this makes an interesting comparison with, uh, with Alice in Through the Looking Glass. If we see that looking glass world as a projection of Alice's uh, own personality, which is an easy way to understand it, and an effective way, well, not the only way, but an effective way, then I think we can see Brule the Spear Slayer as an aspect of Cull's own personality. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I think I can, I can point to exactly how that is. Think of his name, Brule the Spear Slayer, and yet he doesn't slay with a spear. He slays with a sword in this story. I sort of yeah. thought that Spear Slayer might have meant that he slays the person who is the spear. <laughs> you know, well, like, you know, like the, say there are there are three riflemen. You know, how, how many rifle and how many um, horse do you have in your advancing mm -hmm. line? And what you really don't you don't mean that you mean how many mounted men and how many mm -hmm. men carrying rifles? Um, I sort of thought that Spear Slayer meant because he only has a sword that he slayed the people with spears, which well, was I, I, amazing. I've seen him in other stories use his spears. So that, uh, that's, the, oh, that's the, one, the one thing about reading series stories like this one is that uh, this is a part of a, uh, a, a small tapestry, but a tapestry of, of tales of Cull. And Cull is, unlike the other heroes that Howard creates, he's the most brooding and the most... Um, philosophic having reached the kingly uh, duties he is most prone to meditate on what life means once you've achieved your goals and and so i think it is it struck me again when i read it that yeah he is the spear slayer he he normally he's the he is actually when i read it again i realized he's the enkidu to uh to Cull's uh, Gilgamesh because he's the wild man who's been tamed and they're the greatest of friends. This is something that Howard doesn't do in a lot of the other stories. He doesn't have a friend who always accompanies the king or the, the hero. But in this case, he does act as a second self, a, a kind of mirror to Cull. <laughs> a mirror. Mm-hmm. Well, he's actually, of course, the one who breaks the mirror. Exactly. And uh, you, you were saying something very interesting about how when you look in the mirror, you realize that you control the other person in the mirror by, you know, raising your hand and such. And there is a great line. I, I think that the wizard in this story is is very interesting because he's not the typical magic-using wizard he uses the magic of mirrors, which is, it is a kind of magic for, you know, animals seeing themselves for the first time in a mirror um, don't act the same way as they do when they they see themselves, uh, uh, see other animals, right? They, they become frightened in the same way that kind of kids do, maybe. But I thought this line was really interesting. When Cull first meets Tuzintun, he says, 
He says, can you do wonders? He's testing this wizard. And the wizard stretches forth his hand. His fingers opened and closed like a bird's claws. And he says, is that not a wonder that this blind flesh obeys the thoughts of my mind? I walk, I breathe, I speak. Are they not all wonders? And this seems to be like, yeah, it's a cheat. He's not, he's no real wizard, right? But then Cull thinks about this. He meditates on this, in fact. And then he says, can you summon up demons? And I think this is my favorite line from the story. And the wizard says, I, I can summon up a demon more savage than any in Ghostland by smiting you in the face. <laughs> yeah. His power is real, but his power is not magical in the normal sense. It's philosophical magic. Although he does create a zone in which um, Cull sees things that don't yield to that simple test. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now, whether he has done this um, by his words or he actually has a magical thing, we never know because... Interestingly, Cull um, is worried about shadows. The word shadow comes up again and again. Mm-hmm. Um, and at one point we're told that as Cull contemplates the world he sees in the mirrors, Tuzon Thun is always behind him like a shadow. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we, we, we kind of need to, to wonder about that that shadowiness and in fact shadow comes up again this to me is a sign of what a good writer um, we have here um, called the second paragraph of the story sat upon the throne of Elusia and the hour of weariness was upon him they moved before him in an endless meaningless panorama men women priests events and shadows of events things seen, and things to be attained. So this is a wonderful catalog. It looks as if this endless, meaningless panorama, well, it's meaningless because it's meaningless to Cull. We understand that Cull is projecting, but he is projecting an iterative world that is a world that has men and women and priests and events and those are all things of a certain ontological status. You know, you can go out in the street and see a man, a woman, a priest. You can see an event occur. But shadows of events, they exist in a different realm. They exist in our history books. They exist in our imaginations. They exist in fairy tales. And so here already the word shadow is made to pop out for the reader mm-hmm. as suggesting that it is possible to conflate the world of shadows with the world of things, which, of course, is what happens in the story. Um, that second thing that I said I was reminded of with the last paragraph that you quoted, Call is less sure of reality since he gazed into the mirrors of Tuzon Thun. That's the last line. That is like La Belle Dame Sans Merci. You know, the knight who goes into fairyland and once he's been touched by it, he comes out and forever he is palely loitering on that cold hillside. So this story could be an adolescent story 
I mean, the philosophical argument, you know, you know, I can make a, a miracle. See, I can make my hands work like a bird's claw. I'm a raptor. I'm after you, right? Um, and is the guy in the mirror real or am I real? You know, these are interesting things to play with when you're eight or 12, mm -hmm. right? But to realize that what the world means to us, what is the notion of a nation? What does it mean to say you're in love? What does it mean to say that life has value? What does it mean to say there's such a thing as justice? What does it mean to say that you have made a mark on the world? Those, th those are, Howard seems to be suggesting, extensions of that philosophical exploration that we may start as adolescents. And so Brule the Spear Slayer, that part of Cull, just says, let's get out of this place now after he <laughs> kills the wizard. But there's another part of Cull which is just much more adult than that. And as such, despite the fact that he sees he may have turned into mist had he stayed with those mirrors, have faded away, um, he's not willing to just abandon the reality of that experience. Mm -hmm. He, And that's adult. That's it is. something we, we learn from. The, the the funny part is, is, is as you're talking about the shadows in this story, it is, of course, incumbent upon me to tell you that the readers reading this story in the September 1929 issues of Weird Tales would also have shadows in their mind because the very month before in the previous issue is maybe my favorite cull story, which is The Shadow Kingdom. And it's about... Cull confronting a conspiracy against him made up of serpent men who take the form of people and replace them. That is, he, he at one point in the story confronts himself in a hallway and he doesn't know if that's him or if it's, if it's not him. And th you'll like this part, Eric. <laughs> they, they have a shibboleth a test, a verbal test, um, to see if they can uh, determine if they are who they are. If you can say the words ka lama na la jorama, then you are not a serpent man. And it's it, it, it is a, a simpler story, but it sort of has the same uh, who am I when I've got all that I want? What does it mean to exist when you can command worlds at your fingertips? Indeed. When you have a throne made of silk and a, uh, you know, every jewel that you could ever want, what, what, what is beyond that? And that's why I think this is a, a very powerful story. There's a, there is another story, a later story. Um, Cull is his first uh, sword and sorcery hero. Uh, but Conan, you know, we're familiar with this one, and everyone, you know, that's what they say, you know, sort of power fantasy and such like that. But um, he's not only that. And there's a, a wonderful, my favorite story, uh, I think, by Howard at all, is called uh, The Queen of the Black Coast. And there is a a scene in which Conan and Bellet, his, his love for the story, are reclining in the ship after pirating. Or whatever, and 
Bellet asks to Conan about his beliefs, his religious beliefs. And Bellet says, life bad as it is, is better than such a destiny. That is to wander the wastes of eternity uh, unhappily, which is what Conan believes death will bring. And what do you believe, Conan? And he shrugs his shoulders and says, I have known many gods. He who denies them is as blind as he who trusts them too deeply. I seek not beyond death. It may be the blackness averred by the Nemedian skeptics, or Krom's realm of ice and cloud, or the snowy plains and vaulted halls of the Nordheimer's Valhalla. I know not, nor do I care. Let me live deep while I live. Let me know the rich juices of red meat and stinging wine on my palate, the hot embrace of white arms, the mad exultation of battle when the blue blades flame and crimson, and I am content. Let the teachers and priests and philosophers brood over questions of reality and illusion. I know this. If life is an illusion, then I am no less an illusion, and being thus, the illusion is real to me. I live, I burn with life, I love, I slay, and am content. Wow. It's a, it's a, he's got past his doubts. He says, yes, I might be unreal, which is hilarious because he's a fictional character. And yet his, his stories are real to him. You know, I, I like that. I like the writing. I, I think the characterization is vivid. But I think in terms of provocation, philosophical utility, philosophic utility, I think the story that's before us today, the Mirrors of Tuzumthun, is actually superior. And I, I'll, l- let me explain. There is a, a way out that Conan has. Well, if all is illusion, then I'm an illusion too, and I might as well enjoy my illusory existence. Uh, mm-hmm. And and here are the things that I enjoy, and I know them, and and there you go, you know, Bob's your uncle. Mm-hmm. But I think, as we know from that very first paragraph, you know, people are changed by experience. The first paragraph of this story, and by the second paragraph, we're reminded that our changes are in how we look at things, not simply in how the world is. Although there are changes in how the world is as well. Um, this story doesn't cha- shy away from the fact that there are changes in how the world is. The wizard is a member of the elder race and wants to revenge himself on his supplanter. And that's why he has the girl um, induce Cull uh, uh, to come. But, but the story gives us, it reminds us, just before the end, of the possibility of a Bob's Your Uncle solution. Um, mm-hmm. um, Brule explains to Cull that he came when he did uh, to the House of a Thousand Mirrors because another member of the council had discovered a conspiracy against Cull. I, Cull was still amazed, but being a wizard, having knowledge of all the ages and despising gold, glory, and position, what could Kanub offer to Zunthun that would make him a foul traitor? Mm-hmm. Brule answers, gold, power, and position, grunted Brule. That's really Brule the Brute, grunted Brule. The sooner you learn that men are men, whether wizard, king, or thrall, the better you will rule, Call. 
now, what of her? And he turns to the girl who had betrayed him or seduced him uh, philosophically uh, into going there. So Brule does give the simple Bob's your uncle answer. You know, all people are the same. And in that sense, you know, Tuzun Fu was the same. He wanted revenge and, and it all worked. But this story goes on beyond that. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a, a nice settledness, a contentness, um, to use the word that you just quoted, when Conan is content. It's easy to be content if you've got the world fully understood. But I think adults realize that things do keep changing, including our perception of things. And that's why when at the end, Cole is seen to still be wondering, the story is suggesting, you know, just recognizing the illusoriness of illusion, that's not enough. Because saying things are an illusion still doesn't let you know what value is, what the truth or meaning of our existence might be. And we do keep searching for it. We keep holding up mirrors because we want to find something. And so we've come up in this story, I think, not only with the Bob's Your Uncle solution, but a repositioning of that. That's Brule who says all men are the same. But if, although Brule is an important part of Cull, Cull, the whole character, that is of the two, if they're doppelgangers, he still says, yeah, you're right, I got to get going, I got to think this way, but I'm still going to wonder. And to give another philosophical problem that the story leaves us with, at the end of Brule saying, you know, all men are the same, now Brule says, pointing to the betrayer, what of her? Mm. And Cull answers, not Brule, as the girl whimpered and groveled at Cull's feet. She was but a tool. Rise, child, and go your ways. None shall harm you. And I tried to think of this. I mean, she she knew. I mean, in the opening description of her with her, her mm-hmm. sneaky eyes and her scarlet mouth, she clearly is a betrayer. But Cull is smart. When he's first told about told about Tuzan Thun, he calls him a mummer. That mm-hmm. is an actor, often in a in a pantomime, someone who projects lies. And he's never heard of him before, and he calls him a mummer. And she, the tool of this mummer, comes to him. He lets her go. I can think of one complete parallel to that story. When Cain comes to God and says, all men will despise me and want to murder me for what I have done. And God puts a mark on him and says, now go, and this will protect you. Mm -hmm. And, And Cull is not just an ordinary man. Cull begins like an ordinary man with boredom. And like an ordinary man, he has a part of him, an active part of himself, a heroic ordinary man in that sense, in Brule, who is the spear slayer, as you say. And he disentangles himself from losing himself utterly in solipsism, in that hall of mirrors. But the real question is, how do we truly go beyond solipsism? How do we truly go beyond ourselves? And it seems that Cull does this not by being ordinary, but by being extraordinary. We're mm-hmm. told at the very beginning, when he's feeling ennui, that he was ready to explore for something outside of himself. It's explicit. 
it's it's a desire not to stay within oneself, to keep oneself open to the idea of new possibilities. That's something that we have to learn. And it's easy for an adolescent to say, aha, I figured out the world. And for lots of people in their middle years, it's good to be able to say, you know, I know where I am. I know about my relationships. I know my profession. I'm comfortable in my community. I have a place in the world. But more like God in Genesis, who sends Cain on his way, Cull is bigger than that. He knows that he's got to go back and rule wisely, as Brule tells him, and yet he still has to acknowledge that to really understand the world in which he rules, he has to understand that it's not always easy to distinguish the real from the shadow. Was he right not to punish this girl or not right? We know what he did. We just don't know how to evaluate it. The story leaves us as Cull is left with a permanent philosophical question, how to find justice in a world, even if we think that all men are the same. Um, this is, this is a story that could satisfy an adolescent power fantasy. And yet I think it transcends that. And I don't mean to put down adolescent power fantasy, but rather <laughs> to say it takes that perfectly useful kind of story that's good at a certain stage in one's life. And it builds from that into another kind of story that's indeed a haunting philosophical uh, tale. It's unlike a fairy tale for children that settles things. It's more like La Belle Dame Sans Merci, which is a fairy tale for adults that unsettles things. Uh, there's a line right near the end that I think sums it up really nicely. Cull upon his throne meditates often upon strange wisdom. It's it's uh, it's uh, it, it. He is changed by the experience, and I I have a lot of sympathy for Tuzan Thun, but I think myself I I studied philosophy. And one of the things I realized after studying philosophy is that studying philosophy is not an end in itself. It is a, it is a way of gaining wisdom, but it is not the only thing. There are other things, too, like great stories. <laughs> indeed, indeed. But there's always more to say, isn't there? <laughs>